Hey everyone, let's ramble for a little bit. Hello everyone, and welcome to Theological Ramblings. Now, our lesson today for this episode in the Catechism is entitled The Ten Commandments. And by way of introduction, I wanted to make you aware of what is perhaps a little-known fact, and that's that different churches number the commandments differently. And here's why. We find the Ten Commandments in two different places in the Bible. We find them listed in Exodus chapter 20 and Deuteronomy chapter 5. But here's the problem. They are not numbered. In the Bible, it doesn't say this is commandment number one, this is commandment number two. And what's more, it doesn't even label them as the Ten Commandments. Exodus 20 verse 1 says, The Lord God spoke all these words. And then it goes on to say what we know as the Ten Commandments. So the Hebrew word which introduces all this, what we call the Ten Commandments, is davarim, which is the Hebrew word for word, or also the Hebrew word for matters or things. So in the Bible it says, here are the matters or the things or the words that the Lord God spoke to the Israelites. And then later, in Exodus chapter 34, we learn that there are ten of these davarim. There are ten words. In Exodus chapter 34, verse 28, it says that God wrote the ten davarim, the ten words, on the stone tablets when Moses was up on Mount Sinai. So we know there were ten commandments, ten davarim, written on the stone tablets, but we don't know how they are listed. So, different churches divide them up differently. For example, in Lutheran and Catholic numbering, commandment number one is, you shall have no other gods. And commandment number two is, you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. Well, in Calvinist churches, commandment number one is, you shall have no other gods. And then commandment number two is, you shall not have any graven or carven images. Now, you can find that kind of language in Exodus chapter 20 and Deuteronomy chapter 5, talking about different idols, graven and carven images. But we lump all that verbiage in with the first commandment. We say, well, it's all talking about idolatry. And then the Calvinists go and lump our ninth and tenth commandment together. They say, well, that's all talking about coveting. And so we have different numbering of the commandments. And to be honest, brothers and sisters, that's okay. Because again, the commandments aren't numbered in the Bible in Exodus chapter 20 or Deuteronomy chapter 5. Again, they're not even called the commandments in Hebrew. They're called the ten words or the ten matters. And that is why I want to tell you about the Jewish numbering of the Ten Commandments, the Ten Words. You see, the Jewish number them differently than the Christian church. 
And that is because in Exodus chapter 20, even before God says that you shall have no other gods, he says this, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. That's Exodus chapter 20 verse 2. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. And that's commandment number one in the Jewish numbering. Now, I really like numbering the Ten Commandments that way. Because if you do that, it begins with a redemption story. The first thing God says before he tells Israel his will for their lives is, I'm the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. I'm the one who bought you back. I'm the one who redeemed you. I'm the one who gave you freedom. Now, if you start with that concept, I think it kind of changes the whole attitude towards the Ten Commandments. When you start with a redemption story, the Ten Commandments become a way that you can thank God for redeeming you. And not just a list of rules you have to follow in order to earn salvation or to keep God from punishing you. Because he's already redeemed you. Now, all of this has been a very lengthy introduction to our lesson today. Because our lesson today really doesn't talk much about the Ten Commandments, even though it's entitled the Ten Commandments. Our lesson today really is an overview of the entire redemption story. And just like with the Jewish numbering of the Ten Commandments, when you begin with the redemption story, it puts the whole thing into a different perspective. If we begin with a redemption story, then when we study the Ten Commandments, we can see them as a guide that we can use to lead a life of thanksgiving to God. So, with that very lengthy introduction, let's get into our lesson. Well, hello everyone, and welcome to Theological Ramblings. I'm your host, Pastor Phil Janish. And as always, I'm joined by the venerable Pastor Ross Henze. Hi, everybody. And I'm joined by Pastor Tom Fricky the Wise. I'm happy to be here. Now, our audience knows that this lesson is actually kind of an overview of the redemption story. So, with that in mind, let's go all the way back to the beginning. When God created the world, it was perfect, and the first human beings, Adam and Eve, had a perfect relationship with God. But then they decided to rebel against God by eating the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And when they did that, sin entered the world. So let's unpack that concept a little more. The fact that sin entered the world. Tom, could you describe some of the effects that this event had? Sure. Uh, the effect that, that, that sin entering the world had is that uh, everything was affected by sin. I mean, from the physical world down to every individual being, human being who was born into the world. In fact, you, you could probably say this, that from the moment that we are born, we actually begin to die. Uh, King David said in Psalm 51, Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. So we're affected by sin every moment of our life. Uh, the Apostle Paul echoed that when he said that uh, 
sin entered the world through one man and death came from him. And so, again, from the moment we're born, we begin to die. The wages of sin is death. We call it aging. We give it a nice term, but really it's a, a, a long, slow process of death that's occurring throughout our entire life. And that brings us to the point where we have such things as a coronavirus and the problems that are caused because of disease and illness and so on. And so the effects of sin in the world are, you know, monumental. They, they affect every area of our life in one way or another. Yeah, thanks, Tom. Ross, do you have anything to add to that? Well, I, I would probably just add that to me, uh, the first thing that I think of is that perfect relationship that God and man shared at creation was now lost. And so when you don't have that perfect relationship anymore, that, that separation between a perfect and holy God and sinful human beings. And then the other thing that now because of sin in the world, there were going to be consequences as it explains in Genesis that man would now have to work very hard for uh, to make a living, that a woman would experience pain during childbirth. And then eventually, as Pastor Fricky said, you know, it, the ultimate uh, consequence of sin is the fact that we're all going to die. So to me, the, the first thing that sticks out to me is that relationship with God immediately changed. And you and I, we, we, we've never experienced that. We will one day in heaven. But to know that, that that relationship that they shared at creation automatically now changed. Yeah, so both of you have been describing just some of the huge effects of the problem. And both of you touched on it a little bit. So let's get a little bit more specific and talk about what we call original sin. And when we talk about this, con uh, this concept, we often talk about a sinful nature. You know, Tom, you mentioned surely we were sinful at birth. Our relationship with God is broken. So um, we, we have this sinful nature uh, that we deal with every day. Do either of you have a favorite analogy or illustration for explaining this concept? Tom, go ahead. Sure. I've, I think about this every now and then. Uh, one of the uh, British authors and Christian apologists from about a century ago, G.K. Chesterton, uh, is full of all kinds of quips that explain the Christian faith. But he said that the doctrine of original sin is the only part of Christian theology that can really be proved. And he said it's actually one of the easiest ones to prove, too. Uh, he said that uh, all you have to do is open the newspaper. Uh, because, uh, you know, sin is there on every page. All you have to do in our day and age is turn on the TV or, or look at your news feed or see what's happening out there in the world, and you realize, yeah, sin is, is there and it's present in every person, and uh, it's something that we're born with. Uh, or we could also say, all you need to do is watch your kids. <laughs> Yep, yep, having a little, even my little girl, you know, she can be naughty and already knows how to be manipulative and things like that. Um, Ross, respond to that question. Any favorite analogy uh, or illustration you use to explain original sin? Well, I'm sorry, I, I can't quote some 19th century, <laughs> some century guy, but uh, what I often do is I, I kind of explain it this way. 
that simple nature inside of us is kind of imagine when I'm teaching children, uh, kind of imagine a devil on one shoulder and an angel on the other shoulder. And that devil is constantly in your ear that's saying, oh, mom said, you know, you shouldn't take the cookie. Well, come on, you can have a cookie. Mom's not going to get mad if you take just one. So it, it's that constant uh, little thought that goes inside your ear, that battle that goes on between right and wrong. Uh, that sinful nature lives inside of us, and uh, it is able to be, uh, it's never going to be taken completely away. Uh, however, uh, it can also grow, and so we have to make sure that we are connected to God's Word to keep that little voice at bay. Yeah. One thing I'll add to this is when I talk about original sin, uh, lots of times I use two analogies. I say uh, it's kind of like a genetic disease in the fact that you get it from your parents and every single human being has it because the very first human beings got corrupted by it. Um, and another way I like to explain it is it's kind of like mold. You're completely covered and corrupted with mold so that, you know, there's, there's no more good. What do you do with a moldy piece of bread that's completely corrupted by it? You throw it away. Um, and if you put that moldy piece of bread with other bread, it's going to transfer the mold to that bread. Um, I think that's enough about that. I think our, our audience probably gets this concept of original sin. What I hope they get, though, too, is, Ross, you mentioned it at the very beginning. This does break our relationship with God. Um, it's not just a, uh, oh, yeah, everybody's got a bad side in them. Um, no, this is, uh, this is sin, and it breaks our relationship with God, and it causes us to sin. Now, Ross, sometimes when we think about original sin, and then we go look at the Ten Commandments, which we're going to be doing in our next few episodes, it can feel like we're getting kicked when we're down. Um, why can the Ten Commandments make us feel that way? Well, if the Ten Commandments are rules to live by, the, this is how God wants us to live our life. And if you're being honest, and you're looking inside that mirror at yourself, I think, and you're using the law as a mirror, you're going to very quickly realize, I, I'm not doing this. I, I'm, not, I'm not keeping them. I'm, I'm not even coming close. Even, even when I try really hard, that's what the Apostle Paul said, even when I... I try my very best to, to do right. I still sin. And so that can be, at times, uh, it can get people, you know, why should I even try? If, if, I, if I work so hard and I can't keep them, why should I even try? And on the other side of the coin, I've had counseling sessions where individuals have come in and said, can God ever possibly forgive me for what I have done? I have done this grievous sin, and you name it, you know, to them, it's how could God ever possibly forgive me for what I have done? And so that's what, uh, when you look at them and you make the Ten Commandments a burden, they really can be, but that's not what they're intended to be. Yeah, thanks. So, uh, Ross, you explained that, well, when we look at original sin and we know our sin and we look at the Ten Commandments together, Sometimes we can pretty much lose all hope. You know, you mentioned some cases where those people seem to have lost all hope. And we do, by ourselves, recognize that all of us are doomed. 
we cannot keep the Ten Commandments because we have sin, so we need a Savior. And obviously the audience knows the classic answer to almost every catechism question is Jesus, and that's who our Savior is. Now, Tom, could you explain how Jesus' relationship with the Ten Commandments was different from our relationship with the Ten Commandments? Sure, I, I can explain that. I guess the first thing I'd do is I'd say that his relationship with the Ten Commandments is similar to ours in that he was under the law, just as we are under the law, and yet he was significantly without sin. And because Jesus Christ is without sin, uh, you know, the guilt that is ours was not his. He was able to make payment for our sins as uh, one who was innocent, and yet uh, he gave his life as the Son of God in payment for the sins of the world. You know, as Pastor Nancy was mentioning before, really a good point that uh, the law is preparatory for the message about Jesus and what he has done for us, or as John the Baptist said, you know, it, it uh, levels the mountains, makes straight the highway for the Lord as the law prepares the way for him. Uh, so yeah, his relationship with the law is the same as ours. He is under the law as we are, and yet he was without sin. Yeah. And Ross, could you unpack that concept that Tom just mentioned, that Jesus was without sin? Why is it so important that Jesus kept the commandments perfectly? Well, I think the thing that we need to understand is that the demand for perfection still exists. You know, be holy because I, the Lord your God, am holy. Be perfect as your Heavenly Father. You know, that command is still there. And that's the problem. We're not perfect. We can't do it. And that's the very reason why Jesus came. God said human beings must be perfect. We can't do it, so he sent his Son, had him become human, had him do what we could not, live the perfect life we never could. So that demand for perfection was then met, and it was met by Christ. Yeah. Thank you, thank you. And that's, that's the essence of the gospel, Jesus dying and living a perfect life for us. So now because of Jesus, we don't have to look at the Ten Commandments only from the perspective of original sin and only as something that cuts and shows us our, our sin. Um, we also have what's called the new person within us. And Ross, you alluded to it earlier when you talked about, you know, we have our sinful nature, which is the little devil guy that looks like us, and then we have the little angel guy. That's the new person within us. The Bible says that if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. And Tom, what is the new person or the new self's attitude toward the Ten Commandments? I could maybe put that very simply by saying it's the difference between get and got, or get to and got to. I, I get to thank the Lord. I get to live the way he wants me to live. Uh, it's not that I got to do it. It's that I get to do it. I, I want to be able to follow the Lord's will. And so uh, the new self has that attitude toward God's commands. The old self is uh, kicking and screaming and fighting against it all the way. Uh, but the New Self, Psalm 119, says, Direct me in the path of your commands, for there I find delight. And uh, it, that new person, that new self, delights in following the commands of the Lord and is eager to seek God's guidance. Yeah, yeah, thank you. And Ross, now that we have a new self, does that mean keeping the commandments is going to be easy? Are we going to keep them all the time now that we have a new self? Well, no. 
we're not because we're still sinful human beings. We are going to continue to fail every single day. Uh, however, I think what changes, as Pastor Fricky mentioned, is our motivation for trying to do so. That's he was talking about get and got. Uh, I think another way to say it would be your motivation. You know, my motivation for striving to keep these Ten Commandments is not because I've got this black cloud over my head because if I don't do this, I'm going to go to hell. But here is my opportunity to uh, put God first in my life. Here's my opportunity to watch my language and to respect my parents and others in authority. It's my opportunity to serve and obey my Lord. And now it's not something I have to do, it's something I want to do. Even though I know I'm going to fail. And that's why it's so great that we can keep coming back to our Lord and, and ask for forgiveness. That doesn't give us a license to just go do whatever we want. But to answer the question, no, uh, I'm still going to fail but my motivation is changed. I want to do it out of love for what Jesus has done for me. Yeah, and that is a great uh, point to wrap it up on. We can always go back to Jesus for forgiveness. And so when we approach the Ten Commandments, we do approach them as redeemed children of God. We can be confident Jesus kept the Ten Commandments perfectly in our place and that he paid for all the times we broke them. So as we go through each of the Ten Commandments in the following episodes, inevitably there are going to be times when we feel bad because we recognize how we have not kept God's law. But let's always come back to this truth. You are a redeemed child of God. So go out and follow the Ten Commandments with joy. Uh, Tom, thanks for being on the show as always. Thank you for letting me be a part of this. Yeah, and Ross, thanks for being here as well. Um, thank you. My pleasure. Yeah. And our audience, thanks for listening. We will see you next time as we go through the first commandment. Take care.